John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39 is where we will start this morning as we have been studying uh, the last three weeks the 12 principles for maintaining spiritual freshness or 12 principles for renewing our spiritual passion. Uh, the first scripture we'll look at this morning is John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful again for uh, your love for us and your mercy, your justice, your grace. We're thankful for the cross that we'll celebrate later in this service as Chris brings us the devotional and we are reminded of how much you loved us by sending your son to Calvary's cross. We give you praise, Lord. Guide us now in the study of your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been studying 12 principles of spiritual freshness, and I ran across an illustration that I, I think will help us to understand why this is important to us. Why is staying spiritually close to God, spiritually fresh, why is it important to us? One writer said this, years ago, the only means of going to the bottom of the ocean was in a diving suit. It was made of thick canvas and complete with weighted shoes, a heavy metal headpiece with a window to look out, a long rope to jerk if something went wrong, and most important of all, an air hose that supplied oxygen. Everything about the environment into which the diver went was hostile. There were a thousand things that could go wrong and cost the diver his life. For that reason, the crews constantly monitored the air hose to make sure everything was okay. The writer then says, friend, that is an exact picture of your situation every day. The environment in which you and I live is hostile to our Christian growth and development. The world is always trying to squeeze us into its mold. The devil is trying to lure us off track and the inner corruptions of our own fleshly desires are constantly trying to sap our spiritual strength. So the writer asks, how do you get through this hostile environment? You keep connection with your life support system above. That's what we're trying to do in these 12, 12 principles. Keep connection with our life support system above. We've looked at six principles already. Do I have a regular daily time with God? where I replenish my spiritual resources? Is there someone I need to forgive? Am I holding a grudge? Number, the third principle was, is there something in my life, an attitude or activity of which God cannot approve? The fourth principle we studied was, do I yield daily and regularly to the Holy Spirit's control in my life? The fifth principle was, do I take reasonable care of my body, food and rest, etc.? And the sixth principle that we looked at last week, am I dealing successfully with the frustration and adversity in my life? Do I face life with enthusiasm? So the principle today that we're starting with is principle number seven, and the principle is this, take time to share with others the thing God has shared with you. Take time to share with others the things that God has shared with you. The question that we turn that into is this, do I share what God is doing in my life with others? Do I have what writer Fred Smith called a flow-through philosophy? 
I hope you have opened your Bible or your electronic Bible to John chapter 7 and verse 37, where we read this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The principle that we're talking about is we need to take time to share with others the things that God has shared with us. Do we have this flow-through philosophy? Uh, The writer that I mentioned a moment ago by the name of Fred Smith wrote a, a very good article that I believe you can still find on the Internet, and I would advise everyone to go ahead and and look it up and read it. It's called Conducting a Spiritual Audit. Conducting a Spiritual Audit. And uh, he he asks several questions to help us look at where we're at in life. It's kind of like the 12 principles that we're looking at uh, this morning and we have looked at over the last three weeks. He says this about a flow-through philosophy. Scripture says, He that believes in me Out of his innermost parts will flow rivers of living water. The freshness is in the flow. The mountain stream is fresh. The Everglades are stagnant. Some of us want to be a lake, not a river. We want to accumulate before we let too much flow through. However, as a Christian, I am to let the blessings flow through me. Then he quotes Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers warns, that when we damn the blessings in our lives, we become stagnant, cynical, mean-spirited. We break the dam and let the blessings flow like a river, for the freshness is in the flow. Do we have a flow-through philosophy? Are we sharing with those around us the things that God has taught us? We need to take time to share with others the things that God has shared with us. Spiritual staleness results when we bottle up what God has been showing us. Spiritual staleness results when we bottle up what God has been showing us. We weren't meant to bottle up the truth. Not only would Jesus refresh them, is what he said in John chapter 7, but also he would give them the ability to refresh others. And so, through the Holy Spirit who lives within us, he gives us the ability to refresh others. So the principle seven is take time to share with others the things that God has shared with us. What, what are the things that we might share? Well, we might, we might share with unbelievers God's message of hope. We must share with unbelievers God's message of hope. We must share and showing the same kind of acceptance towards sinners that Jesus did. So one thing we can do is share with unbelievers the message of hope. We can share with believers God's lessons to us. You and I are learning things every day in our lives. You and I are encountering difficulties in our lives, and we are having God's comfort and God's direction and God's wisdom. Well, that's valuable things to share with others. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that the, the things that challenged his life, the things that were difficult in his life, the things that, that uh, caused him to doubt himself and maybe even sometimes doubt God, led him 
to grow in his faith. And as he grew in his faith, what did he do? He shared his faith with others. He shared the lessons that God had shared with him. Now, I think sometimes what stops us is we think that what we're learning is not important enough. It's not big enough to share. But, you know, it's the little things that we share with each other, the little things we learn, the little things that we learn every day that help us to get through uh, each day and to, to grow in faith each day. Those are the things that help others. And we need to be careful to share that with others. We weren't meant to bottle up the truth. We were not meant to bottle up the truth. When we bottle up the truth, we become stagnant in our walk. When we bottle up the truth, it's one of the reasons we lose that spiritual passion. It's one of the reasons we lose that spiritual uh, uh, principle in our lives that we want there, the, the growth in our lives that we want. We must share the hope of the gospel with unbelievers. We must share the lessons that we are learning that God is teaching us with fellow believers and unbelievers alike. So the seventh principle, the seventh principle is, do I have a flow-through philosophy in my life? Do I share with others what God is teaching me? Principle number eight, the next principle that we uh, are studying this morning, the Scripture is, and let me give you this, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. And Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25 are the passages for this. In 1 John chapter 1, we read this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the, the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And of course, he's talking there about Jesus Christ. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you which, what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about that fellowship uh, in chapter 1 up to verse 10. He, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, describes the things that the early church was involved with. One of the things that the early church did was to have fellowship. They had the apostles teaching. They shared in the Lord's Supper. They shared in their, their, their uh, uh, material goods to those who had need. And also they shared in fellowship. They shared in fellowship with other Christians. So principle number eight is, do I fellowship with other Christians? Do I fellowship with other Christians? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, which we don't have time to turn to, is a familiar one to all of us. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. We need to be sharing with each other. We need to be meeting with each other. We need to be fellowshipping with each other. What does fellowship mean? Now, commonly, we misunderstand fellowship. Commonly, when we hear the word fellowship, we think of coffee in the foyer, right? That's fellowship, is coffee in the foyer. Now, obviously, having coffee in the foyer 
uh, uh, speaking to, meeting another believer, uh, meeting somebody new, or talking with somebody you know, uh, obviously that can become fellowship. But the coffee and where the coffee is isn't the fellowship. Fellowship is what we share with each other because we share in Jesus Christ. Fellowship is what we share with each other because we share in Christ. It's not just friendship, and it's not just socializing. That's what we've reduced fellowship to too many times. In fellowship, we open our lives to another person. In fellowship, we open our lives to another person. It can be our spouse, it can be our children, it can be our friends, our co-workers, it can be other people in the church, but we open our lives to others. Fellowship is the connection we feel with another Christian, though we may have just met them. Have you ever experienced that, where you meet somebody brand new, you find out they're a believer, and there's that immediate connection with them? Why is that? It's because of the fellowship that we have one with another. We have a common bond with each other. Fellowship with others begins with fellowship with God. That's what John was trying to tell us in 1 John chapter 1. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with God. We have interaction with God. We have a relationship with God, a deep relationship with God. Fellowship with others begins with our fellowship with God. Paul's fellowship with God revolutionized the way he saw others. He said at one time, he said, I looked at the people around me and I I made judgments about them on the basis of things that weren't important. I made judgments about them on the basis of things that uh, were not essential. But when I came to know Christ, when I came into relationship with God, when I came into fellowship with God, When I looked at other people, I looked at them in an entirely different light. Either they were people who were on their way to a Christless eternity and that broke Paul's heart, or they were believers who had come to faith in Jesus Christ and that caused joy in his heart. And he immediately had fellowship with them, but he never looked at them the same again. Deepened fellowship with others leads to deepening fellowship with God. The heart of fellowship, Selwyn Hughes, who is the author of the outline we're using, he said this, the heart of fellowship must be focused on listening. If we are to fellowship with each other, we must listen to each other. And I don't mean listening just long enough till the other person takes a breath so we can get in to the conversation. That's not conversation. But the heart of fellowship, as Hughes says, is to, must be focused on listening. Now, we don't have time to do so many things I'd like to do, but as I studied this and as I thought about this and I thought about uh, this particular point, do we fellowship with others, as I, I thought about that, I thought back over my life And I thought back over to my my life from the moment I came to faith in Jesus Christ. Actually, before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I could identify 10 or 12 people who were essential to my spiritual growth. 
10 or 12 people over the course, of particularly of my early Christian life, who stood beside me, who encouraged me, who stood beside me in difficult times, who helped me to grow. That was true fellowship. Uh, and, and when I think of those people today, uh, what I remember is how they helped me to stay on track how they helped me to be, to be strong and grow in my faith, how they helped me to see God in my circumstances. That's what fellowship is. That's what fellowship is. It's way more than coffee on Sunday morning. And by the way, I am a big fan of coffee on Sunday morning. Hughes said this. He had a prayer in this section that went something like this, Father, I see that if I shut out my brother, I shut you out, and my life will soon become stale. Help me to deepen all the areas of my fellowship, my fellowship with you and my fellowship with others. Principle number eight, <coughs> excuse me, is a crucial fellowship a crucial principle and is, is do I fellowship with other Christians? Do I fellowship with other Christians? Principle number nine is this. Am I a creative person? Am I a creative person? Now, before you think about that question and say, oh, well, I, I've never been creative. I I can't do handy work, and uh, I can't paint a picture, and so therefore I'm not creative. Now, listen, uh, by the way, these are the scripture. Write these down, please. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says God, uh, as facts all of Genesis 1 and 2, tells us how God is a creating God. And in Genesis 1, 27, it says that he created us in his image. What does that mean? It means that he made every one of us creative. He made every one of us creative because we have a, a creative God, a creating God. He has made every one of us creative. We may not be able to paint a lovely picture. You know, I used to like to watch that guy on TV, you know, I'm talking about years ago, and he'd start with a blank canvas, and, and uh, I mean, in minutes he had this fantastic, gorgeous thing, and you say, boy, I'd love to have that kind of talent. Well, that is creativity. There's no doubt about it. But creativity way be, goes way beyond that. And we are created because we are made in the image of God who is a creating God. If you want to see an example of great creativeness, look at Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. The ideal wife in Proverbs 31. How creative she is in all of the things that she does from managing the household to putting food on the table to all of those things, which are acts of creation, acts of creation. So the question is, am I a creative person? Do I keep growing creatively? A couple of things to think about in this. Rather than focus on our limitations, we must creatively approach life. Rather than focus on our limitations, we must creatively approach life. Creativity is not a question of whether or not I'm a creative person. It's a question of how much 
of my creativity am I using? How much of my creativity am I using? We must read. We must grow. We must take on new challenges. Creativity is a matter of resources, of information, of attitude, of experimentation, of wisdom and time. So do I keep growing creatively? Has our daily routine placed us in a rut? If so, we have to shake up the routine, the daily schedule. The way out of the rut is to be creative with the commonplace. Instead of seeing limitations, we must creatively do the routine. Hughes talks about a famous architect. When someone asked a famous architect, then 83 years old, what building he would select as his masterpiece, he replied, my next one. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? By the way, the, the manager of the Astros, does anybody know how old he is? 73 years old. All you septuagenarians, think about that. Think about how what much creativity must go into managing a baseball team, and he's 73 years old. Think about that. Well, this architect said, 83 years old, said, what building would he select as his masterpiece? He said, my next one. My next one. Howard Hendricks told the story at a conference I once, where I once heard him of an 80-year-old woman who died in the night. They found her on her bed, having passed away, and next to her bed was a tablet with goals for the next 10 years. That's creativity. Taking life with creativity. There's a, there's a book by Pat Williams entitled Read for Your Life, in which he says we should challenge ourselves by learning something new. No matter what age, we should challenge ourselves by learning something new. Learn a new computer program. Learn a new app on your phone. Learn how to use the apps you already have on your phone. <laughs> read something different. Uh, if you are into reading nonfiction things, read fiction. Uh, there was a time in my life when the only thing I ever read uh, had to do with ministry, you know, how to do this, how to do that. Uh, everything I read was that. And then I got introduced to James Harriet. Anybody know any more who James Harriet was? Yeah. All creatures great and small, all things bright and beautiful, all things wise and wonderful. The Lord God made them all. I think I missed one. I didn't miss reading it. I read every one and I've read them all more than once. How my life was enriched by reading about a 1930s veterinarian in England. And then Glenn Hur, our missionary, uh, former missionary to China, he introduced me to Jan Caron's series called the Mitford series. Anybody here? read that. That's fiction. Now, James Harriet was real. The names were changed to protect the innocent, but it was, it was real. It was not fiction. 
Mitford is fictitious, but I could not wait. He sent me the first three books. And at first, I have to tell you, I wasn't excited. But I started to read, and I read, and I couldn't stop. I read through the first three books, and then every time a new book in the series would come out, I immediately went to get it so I could read it. It was fiction. It was about a fictitious priest named Father Tim in a fictitious place called Midford. But how it enriched my life to read those things. So there's so much we could say, but um, the question is, are we creative? Uh, are, are we, what are we doing with the creativeness God has given us? Let me share one more illustration with you real quickly. Uh, <laughs> I love cartoons. Have I mentioned that? I think I have mentioned that. I love cartoons. There's one, it's the finance committee is meeting, and the finance committee is meeting to go over the youth pastor's budget. And this is the caption. Water skiing ministry, $200. Fast food evangelism, $375. Cinema ministry, $95. Amusement park outreach, $130. Pizza parlor discipleship, $185. Hey, wait a second, look. It says books, $75. Are we paying this guy to read? I hope he's reading. Your pastors in this church are reading. Your elders are reading. I hope you're reading. So the question is, am I a creative person? Principle number 10. Principle number 10. Cultivate the art of Scripture meditation. Cultivate the art of Scripture meditation. The question for us is, do I spend time meditating on the Word of God? God. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. We read this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Uh, another passage to write down for your own study is Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. We need to cultivate the art of Scripture meditation. According to Hughes, this is one of the highest priorities in the list of suggestions for staying spiritually fresh. A synonym for meditate is the word ruminate. And Gordon MacDonald says that meditation is nothing more than ruminating over spiritual food. Taking scripture and turning it over and over in your mind. Meditation is the process whereby we place the word of God into the digestive system of the soul where it's transformed into faith and spiritual energy. We are literally drawing nourishment from the scripture. We are literally drawing nourishment from the scripture. Navigators talked about scriptural meditation and suggest the following six methods of 
meditating over scripture. If you want to learn the art of meditation, now we're not talking about the hmm, hmm. We could start a musical group. I'll go hmm and you go hmm. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Hmm. Uh, at any rate, no, we're not talking about that kind of meditation. We're talking about meditation over scripture. Navigators suggest these six ways. Number one, paraphrase. Put the passage into your own words. Put the passage into your own words. Number two, ask questions of the text. Ask questions of the verse. Who, what, when, where, why, how, or random questions that come to mind. So take a verse and just just take, like savoring a, a, a good meal or savoring a good piece of fruit, get every part of flavor out of it. Paraphrase, ask questions, pray about, the, pray about the, the scripture, pray about the phrases in the passage, pray about the thought of the passage, pray about its implications. What, is it, what are its implications for my life? Put emphasis on different words or phrases every time you say the verse. So repeat the verse, repeat it out loud, and emphasize a different word or a different phrase in the verse. Number five, cross-reference. Find other verses which express the same concept as your passage. Number six, apply the truth of the passage to your life. What positive steps can you take to put that scripture into your life? Principle number 11. Principle number 11 is this. Examine your life to see that you're not being controlled by hidden agendas. Examine your life to see that you're not being controlled by hidden agendas. Let me, let me uh, just briefly mention what that's about. A hidden agenda, as explained by uh, Gordon McDonald, explained by Selwyn Hughes, is an unresolved issue from the past, usually a negative experience in your past which influences your behavior in the present. That could include past fears, past hurts, wrong assumptions, negative experiences that can produce hidden agendas, and they drive your actions today. How many people, because of something that happened in their childhood, are being driven yet today by that very thing? And when they find themselves in the situation that triggered those thoughts in their childhood, they, when they find themselves in that situation as an adult, the same feelings come back and the same things drive them. So the question we have to ask is, are we, are we being driven by some kind of hidden agenda or hidden motives? An example that uh, Selwyn Hughes gave, gave is this. Uh, boys who are told, big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. I got news for them, big boys do cry. Big boys do cry. There are things in life to cry about. Do you know that? Whether you're a male or a female, there are things in life to cry about. And when you're told big boys don't cry, well, I got to tough it up. And it it's, sounds minor, but it, it, drives, it drives people Hughes shares the story of one young man who was repeatedly told by his parents, measure up, the better you do, the more we will love you. 
What do you think that guy's life turned out like? Measure up. The better you do, the more we will love you. So we need to look at our lives and ask, is there some kind of a hidden agenda that is directing my life today and causing my life to go in a certain direction? I, I like the positive side of this. Let me share real quickly. This is from a book by Rick Young entitled Finding Time. And if you can still find it, it's a good book that you'll enjoy, especially fathers, dads, this is for you. He said, I've never forgotten that point of vulnerability when dad was willing to share some of his struggles with me. So I've carried on the tradition. Today, my sons have no illusions about my brilliance. They've heard and witnessed some of my struggles. I've shared the times of difficult decisions. They've heard about my failures as well as my successes. And though I'll, I've always encouraged them, listen to this, this is so good. And although I've always encouraged them to strive for excellence in whatever they attempt, I never demand perfection. I may challenge them to reach beyond their performance, but not, not beyond their potential. That is so good. So the question is, am I called or am I driven? Is a hidden agenda ruling my life? Believe it or not. Ding, 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 ding. Principle number 12. We made it, folks. The one week or two week message turned into four weeks. But here we are. Okay, principle number 12 is an easy one, one that we all know. And it's this, keep your eyes fully focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes fully focused on Jesus. If we're going to be spiritually fresh, we have to keep our eyes fully focused on Jesus. So the question is, by the way, it's Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 18 Am I preoccupied with myself or am I preoccupied with Jesus Christ? When we're focused on Jesus, we are freed from preoccupation with self. If our attention is on ourselves, we will occupy our thoughts and our expressions. When he is the center of our attention, we are gradually and continuously changed into his likeness. So the twelfth principle is, am I preoccupied with myself or with Jesus? Number one, do I have a regular time with God where I replenish my spiritual resources? Number two, is there someone I need to forgive? Am I holding a grudge? Number three, is there something in my life of which God cannot approve? Number four, do I yield daily and regularly to the Holy Spirit's control of my life? Number five, do I take reasonable care of my body? Number six, Am I dealing successfully with the frustration and adversity in my life? Number seven, do I share what God is doing in my life with others? Number eight, do I fellowship with other Christians? Number nine, am I a creative and outgoing person? Number 10, do I spend time meditating on the word of God? Number 11, is a hidden agenda ruling my life? Number 12, am I preoccupied with myself or with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the challenges of these 12 principles. 
may we daily grow closer to you and more passionate for you. In Jesus' name, amen.